Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're in Psalm 66. Tonight's Psalm, David is going to praise the Lord for God's mighty deeds. Now, let's read this Psalm together. Verse 1 says, Shout joyfully to God all the earth and sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you, and all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. Yea, they will sing praises to your name. Selah. Now, what works has the Lord done that we could say, God, you are awesome. We have so many things we can look in our lives at how God has done glorious, mighty works for us. And Israel as a nation could do the same. Remember, the Bible says everything happened to them happened for our instruction. So we can look at what happened to them and we'll learn from them. So here he says, how great are your works? And because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience. They'll give obedience because God is so great. He's so powerful. He's so mighty that they will give. It's obedience, but they're cringing. Kind of like someone saying, the guy on the other team, his quarterback is, yeah, he's really good. We hate that team. He's not my team. But yeah, I'll acknowledge he just made three marvelous plays. They want to do it. They do it more cringingly, like, all right, he's great, but I don't want to acknowledge it. But you can't deny it. It just comes down to what did they accomplish? Now, what has God accomplished? That's what this psalm is about. This psalm is going to highlight some of the things God has accomplished. And it's really good for our spirit to be reminded of the things God has done. When we're not certain about our day, it's nice to know that we serve a God who can do mighty things. So let me read the psalm to you. Verse 4 goes on and says, all the earth will worship you. And sing praises to you, and they will sing praises to your name. Selah. This is where you take a moment and you pause. And you think about it. Is God worthy to be praised? How awesome was his works? What great things has the Lord done? Now the psalm picks up in the next thought. Okay, and by the way, this psalm has a couple selahs in it. This is a what's called the contemplative style of Hebrew writing. And they do different styles of their songs. This one is the type to get your mind thinking is great because it helps us shift sometimes from the wrong thinking, what I call stinking thinking, to thinking that is solid that you need to do for your faith. The thinking that is good for our soul. Let's go to the next verse. Verse five says, come and see the works of God, who's awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the river on foot. There, let us rejoice in him. He rules by might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations and let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. So here he says, come see the works of God. Look, what great works, how awesome it says are his deeds towards the sons of men. If you were raised in Jewish culture, you'd have to go to what they call Shabbat school. We call it Sunday school, but they worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. And one of the stories they would hear is about Moses. When the Egyptian army was coming in, first Pharaoh says, yeah, yeah, you can go finally after all those different plagues. Fine, go, go. And he sends them off to go 
following Moses out into the wilderness. And they go out. And remember when they get to the Red Sea, how their backs are against the Red Sea. The Bible tells us that God put a pillar of fire between the Egyptian army and the people of Israel. And that pillar, that column of fire went from the earth all the way to the sky. It was a pillar of cloud by day, it says, and a pillar of fire by night. You talk about defending his people. This is a nice touch. And the Egyptian army wouldn't even go through that. Some people think it's a pillar of cloud. Well, cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. What do you think? And maybe it was fire in the middle of the column and it was swirling. When I read it, I think all I know is it was enough to keep a whole Egyptian army from attacking. Let me tell you, if it was like a little misty rain cloud, do you think that would hold them back? No. I mean, they just ride through it, right? They just be like, forget this. They went and caught them and caught them. But God did such a mighty deed. It must have been scary and scary big. Well, you guys know the rest of the story, right? On the other side of the cloud, there's Moses with his staff and going, what do I do, Lord? And the Lord says, just touch your staff to the water. And I'll take care of it. And he parts the sea. And it says, and the children of Israel went through on dry ground all the way to the other side, all in one night. It's believed when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he was taking away over a million people. Okay, we know that because there's 550,000 men. That's not women and children, just men. Just in the book of Numbers, you can read it. 550,000 men, age of war. They don't count the young men under the age of war. So this is the only ones from fighting age up. It will be easily estimated that it was at least 2 million because you add the women, the children, and they didn't have small families back then. Jews were known for having six, eight, 10 children per family. So I'm just saying conservatively, 2 million. It could be way up from that number that he let out. Now you say, what's the big deal? I say, well, if it was a little gap, say 50 feet across, and you have to move 2 million people through a little gap across the Red Sea. We know how the distance is. We can measure the distance across the Red Sea, make a 50-foot gap. And the Army Corps of Engineers actually did a study. The problem is if it was parted only 50 yards, it would take about three and a half years to get all of those people to funnel through that little gap. He said, but... We already know the time because the Bible tells us they all crossed in one night. And so the Army Corps of Engineers knows by marching troops shoulder to shoulder how wide a man's shoulder is. Plus, you got to add factor in the animals, the carts, all the stuff that the gap had to be about 1,500 yards wide. It's huge. It's not this small little gap to get them across in one night. It's huge. And so when you look and you go, oh, wait a minute. I always wondered, wouldn't they think it was like a setup, like a, a trap? It looks like a trap. But what if it's pushed back so that it's so wide that you're not seeing the edges over there? And you're like, hey, plenty of room. And that's to get them all across in one night. And they get all the way across. And now it just looks like, hey, the water's way far away. Let's chase them. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. What happened with the pillar of cloud after they got across? The pillar of clouds stayed like a guard guarding the opening. That tells me something about the size of the pillar, too. That thing was ginormous. It was blocking them. Then it moves and lets them in. Now, they should have been going, this is a trap. Because the cloud, it could just scooch back and block them in. And now they're just 
right there in the middle of the sea. And we know what happens because we read ahead and it says that when they get to the other side, Moses says, look and see the salvation of your God. And he stretches forth his hand and it says, and the sea came back together and they stood there and they sang on the banks. We will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. God delivered us from our enemy. But see, they didn't fight any battle there. God fought the battle. Now their enemies were swallowed up right in the bottom of the Red Sea. And you know that today we have found the remnants of those chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea. They found that. They, they have evidence. This is not some fable, guys. This God did. That's a big deal. Because that was God delivering the whole nation from a really mighty nation that had power over them. And God goes, I'll fight for you. Now this psalm says, when you remember these kind of battles that God fought for you, let's pause for a minute and think about that. Oh wait, I forgot to tell you, there's another one. That was just one. One of them was that he turned the sea into dry land. And then it says, and they passed through the river on foot. When did they pass through the river? When Joshua brings them to the Jordan River. I want to show you this one. Turn to Joshua chapter three. I'll just take one little jaunt over here. In Joshua chapter three, when Israel then got into the promised land, well, into the wilderness, it's called a Zin, Z-I-N, not Sin, but Zin. After they left Egypt, they crossed over into the wilderness and they were waiting. God was going to lead them into what he called Canaan's land, the promised land. Land flowing, it says, with milk and honey, a good land. They sent 12 spies, one from each of the tribes into the land. They all came back saying, the land is great. It's a fertile land. It's a great land, but there's giants. And 10 of the spies said, the giants are too big. And two of the spies said, but our God is bigger than their giant. The two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua will wind up having to wander for 40 years with the whole nation of Israel in that wilderness until that whole generation died off and he was going to take a new generation and bring him in. Joshua and Caleb get to go in. And now when they come back around the horn 40 years later, God leads them to the Jordan River where he had brought them before 40 years earlier and sent in the spies. And this time they're standing on the banks of the Jordan. And we have a clue what time of year it is because Joshua chapter three tells us this. It says, for the Jordan overflows all its banks on the days of the harvest. And the Lord told Joshua, Joshua, here's how it's going to go. You send the priest down into the river carrying the ark. You think, but they're going to drown. Can't just wait across. He goes, just do it. If you're on the priest duty this day, you're going, oh, man, I have to pick up the ark and walk into the overflowing river. Listen to this. As soon as the priests that were carrying the ark, when their feet were dipped in the edge of the water, it says in verse 16, the water which was flowing down from above stood up and rose up into a heap. It was a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, which were flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, that's the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, and they were completely cut off so that the people could cross the Jordan Riverbed on dry ground opposite Jericho. God went, yeah, I did this 40 years ago with the Dead Sea. This time I'm just going to do it with the Jordan. But if you were on priestly duty, you didn't know that the water's going to heap up way back over there as soon as your feet touch the water. You're just told by Joshua, 
hey, guys, God told me to tell you guys, march into the river. He's going to make a, a way for us. They're probably going, uh, uh, I, like, how'd you be like to be the first guy in line carrying the ark? And you're walking going, okay, I sure hope this Joshua dude is listening to God because I've got a big heavy box on my shoulder and I got to go walk into a raging river. He's nuts. See, they don't put this in the Bible. I'm just interjecting what I think might have been going through their mind. And I do know that some of the people were c- complaining about the old Joshua getting to be in charge thing because it tells us this in the next part of the chapter. They obeyed, they went, the river stopped. And then it says, Joshua in chapter four, he was exalted in the sight of the people. See, no one else had the instructions from God what to do except him. And he told the people, God said, this is how we're gonna go into the promised land. He's gonna part the waters for us. And they're probably going, yeah, right. Looney tune. But see, he was there when God parted the water with Moses. And now he gets to be, the one that God is giving the instructions through. And because he did it, and it worked, that day we read in verse 14 of chapter four, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they revered Moses all the days of his life. Now turn back to the Psalm so I can finish this with you tonight. This beautiful Psalm, he says, God has turned the sea into dry land. He has made the river to be dry that they could pass through on foot. He says, let us rejoice therefore in him. And he rules by his might and his eyes keep watch on the nation. Now, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Say law. Stop and think how much power did God use to hold the Egyptian army back? And how much power did he use to part the Red Sea? How much power did he use to hold back the waters of the Jordan when it was overflowing its bank? Do we need to stop for a minute and remember things God has done for us? How about you having a bad week in your faith? We'll just say your faith meter's a little bit low this week, running on the low side. Is it good to remember the great things that God has done when you're struggling in your faith? And then the psalm goes on. Now we have one more say law to do in this psalm. Listen to this next paragraph in Hebrew. It's really interesting. He says, bless our God, O people, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life. He does not let our feet to slip. You tried us, O God, and you refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net and you laid oppressive burdens upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads and we went through the fire, through the water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings and shall pay my vows, which I uttered, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with smoke of rams, and I shall make an offering of bulls and of male goats. Selah. Now, just try to process this. He says, God, I'm going to bless you and sound your praise abroad, because you kept my life. And you didn't let my feet slip. And now he goes to describe. I love how David's so good at describing. Even though I went through refining, like you refined silver, it was painful. You refined me, put me on the heat, so to speak. You turned the fire up and you refined me. And you put me into places where there was snares of the net and oppression from people coming against me, burdens that I bear. And you made men, he says, ride over my heads. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, 
whenever you conquer some other person, you took their house and you raise it. Not raise like R-A-I-S-E, raise it, build up. Raise in R-A-Z-E. It's the word we get erase. You take their house and you push it down and you build right on top of it. And what you're doing by that in their culture, when you put your foot above another man's head, you're saying, I rule over you. You're beneath me. So if you conquer him or his town and you raise it, you just erase it, push it down, and you build right on top of it, what you're doing in their culture is saying, I not only beat you, but I put you under my feet. I walk over the top of your head. Do we ever go through trials in this life? Hardships, hard places, people pushing us down. Do we ever get in such a bad place that we're like, oh God, help me. And now listen to David. He says, because you brought me through these things and you brought me to a place of abundance, he says, I'm going to come to your house with burnt offerings and I will pay my vows, which my lips, he said, uttered and my mouth, they spoke them when I was in distress. In other words, what he's saying is, God, I owe you. You got me out of that bind. I was in a bad way and you delivered me, man. I, I got to bring you what I said. How many times do we ever do this? God, just get me out of this. I swear, if you get me out of this, I'm going to go to church. Or you get me out of this, I'm going to do whatever. You know, we, we make deals. Okay, so God gets you out of it. Listen to what David says. I will pay what I vowed. When I was in distress and I said I would do that, obviously, he said he was going to pay to God an offering. And then he does this. Selah. Let's pause. How many of us have made a deal with God and we didn't pay? This is a church song, by the way. They're singing this in church. You know what this psalm says? Remember to pay what you vowed. Let's pause and think about that. Now, the last paragraph is one from this part to the end is just one more paragraph. He says, come and hear all who fear God. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Now, this part is not for anyone who doesn't fear God. If you're not a believer, you don't even have to listen to the rest of the psalm. By all of us who believe in the Lord, this is for us. Come and hear all who fear. I will tell you what he has done for my soul. It is really neat to hear what God has done sometimes for another man's soul. He says, I cried to God with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. I praised him with my tongue. He said, if I regard iniquity or wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. David had figured this out. Whenever he was sinning, he noticed God really wasn't hearing his prayers. He says, but certainly God has heard and has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer and nor his loving kindness, his mercy from me. He says, you know, if I'm holding on to sin in my heart, God doesn't hear my prayer. But listen to this. This is for everyone who fears the Lord. This is a good encouragement. If you turn away from your sin, does God hear your prayer? He's telling us the answer. You can't hold on to wickedness in your heart. You can't want to do wickedly and say, God bless me. The Bible says, whatever you sow, that's what you reap. So if we sow to wickedness, we're going to reap corruption, death. But see, I like what Amos says, if you sow to yourself in righteousness, notice, start sowing in your life doing the right thing. It says, you know what you reap? You reap in mercy. 
And it tells us, break up that fallow ground, Amos said. Break up that part of your heart that's hard. Let God give you a soft heart. I know he had to take my heart and really do a number on it because there was a lot of hardness. People had hurt me and I had let that hurt harden my heart. I wouldn't let certain people come close to me. Maybe it wasn't even that person. It was just someone like that person. Have you ever done that to somebody? For no reason at all. You don't even know that person, but you're like, they remind me of somebody who hurt me. I don't like you. It's not the same person, but this is how stupid our thinking gets. When you're thinking from the place of a hard heart, your thinking isn't clear. And unfortunately, it causes your prayer life to go down. If you're holding on to wickedness in your heart, David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, wickedness, God's not going to hear me. And this is a good one to end on. How many of you want God to hear your prayer? You want an answer. If, when I'm praying, I'm not like praying, oh, God, I just feel like talking to the air. I don't really think this is going to work. I don't know if anything's going to happen. No, when I'm praying, I'm like, I need answers. I need help down here. But see, David is the one saying, how magnificent is our God? He started off the song. How great is our God? Even our enemies are going to feign obedience to him. He's that great. How good is he at delivering? How powerful is he? Can he part the sea? Can he stop the Jordan River? Yep, that's the guy we're talking to. Can he deliver us when we're in a pickle? That's the next paragraph. Can he get us out of a bind? I love how he put that. How many times has the Lord kept us alive? How many times has he not allowed our feet to slip? How many of you had close calls? How many times has God covered us? Now he says, let's pause and think about that. And how many times have we said we'll pay and then he got us through it? Are we like David where he said, okay, time to pay up. If you made a deal with God, you know your deal, okay? But if you did, if you said, I'll teach Sunday school, Whatever you vow, David says you should pay your vow. This is a good song. Because in the end, all of you who fear the Lord, listen to what he says. Hear this for your soul. He says, I want to tell you something. God did this for my soul. God showed me that when I cry to him with my mouth, and when I praise him with my tongue, and I don't hold on to iniquity in my heart, then God certainly hears my prayer. And God certainly blesses me. He doesn't turn my prayer away. He hears it and he gives me his mercy. His loving kindness comes to me. Now, is this a good thought to end on? That we have a God that hears our prayer and gives us mercy. Gives us loving kindness whenever we come to him. That he's there and he doesn't let our foot slip. He looks out for us. He keeps us in this life. David says, let me tell you, all you who fear the Lord what he did for my soul. He showed me that I just have to keep my heart away from sin and I can go to him and he hears my prayer and he answers. That's a beautiful psalm to end with, that we have the same God. Remember David said, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. When he did sin, he was quick to repent. Same guy realized when I was sinning, he must have learned God wasn't listening until he turned away from us. He's nice enough and humble enough to say, when I keep iniquity away from my heart, that's when I know he hears me. That's a good secret. Can God see 
whatever sin we're holding on to in our heart, even if no one else can, is a secret from God? No. But the problem is, when we hold on to sin in our heart, it breaks our communication with God. He's not answering. Say they're like, I just am not going to forgive them. Well, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven. I'm sorry to tell you this, but holding on to any kind of iniquity in your heart is not good. But that one's a really bad one. Because if you hold on forgiveness, you don't get forgiven. Jesus is in the forgiveness business. But it will hurt you to walk in any sin. Maybe you're jealous. Maybe have selfish ambition. Any kind of thing we hold in our heart that is taking us away from God. Whenever we go to pray, what's it going to do to our prayer? This psalm ends with, he's not going to hear your prayer. When you regard iniquity in your heart, wickedness, he says, you don't get your prayers answered. For free, you can receive the wisdom how to get your prayer answered by just saying, God, take away that wickedness in my heart. Take away the thing, whatever's not right in me. And when you do that as a believer, your soul can do like David said. David said, this is the good stuff for your soul. This for my soul. This was the best thing. When I don't regard iniquity, I know God hears me. And I know the guy I'm talking about, he's the guy that parted the sea, parted the river. He's a really big guy. And he's the one who hears my prayer and gives me his mercy. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.